Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Hey, welcome back. Our special guest today is Sanjay Parisha. Uh, Sanjay is based in Cabarita Beach in northern New South Wales, one of the most beautiful beaches in the in the northern region, um, about an hour or two south from where I live. I'm jealous. I am jealous, Sanjay. Let me let me give you a bit of background about Sanjay. He's a versatile professional, entrepreneur, and philanthropist who constantly pushes boundaries to unlock unlimited potential. Uh, He has a background, he's a a former professional cricketer. He transitioned to a career in health sciences, earning degrees in health science and podiatric medicine. Uh, And as the founder and director of three successful health businesses, he's become uh, one of Australia's highest earning podiatrists, achieving impressive financial success. But here's where it gets interesting. Additionally, he's made his mark in real estate, owning numerous properties running successful Airbnb accommodations, and his business acumen extends to the tech centre where he's founded a software solution. I could go on, but let's get down to the nitty-gritty. We're here today to talk about the top five tips to making your first million from real estate. Sanjay, over to you. What's tip number one? Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you, Rail. Tip number one is invest in yourself. It's important to set yourself up on a prolific basis so you can provide value in whatever field you're currently in. If you need to study further or educate yourself to generate more income or provide yourself uh, further financial acumen, that is tip number one. The easiest way to do this is to niche down. And for myself, as we can all see, uh, I studied podiatry. I was still in a heavy niche of cricket. I did social media. I did fitness modeling. I did revert to podiatry because I wanted certainty. I sustained multiple injuries as a cricketer. And I said, hey, at 21, if I can sustain injuries now and be out for a year, what's going to happen when I'm 30? So I transitioned to podiatry um, and I learned it all by myself. I've never worked for anyone. I had to start on my own because I couldn't get an interview. I literally knocked on many doors, didn't even get the opportunity to speak to someone. This is when my mum prompted me and said, mate, you've got to get started on your own. I'm going to introduce you to one place and you have to make it work from there. I got started. I learned how to connect with people and that's my strength, listening to people, listening to yourself, Lindsay and Rail, um, and understanding you know, what we need to do as individuals these days is really understand your craft and from there, provide value from wherever you're sitting. Even in this podcast, if we can provide value to the listeners, provide them education and direction, that's the most important thing. And that's exactly what I did. From there, I multiplied. I worked and surrounded myself with surgeons. From there, I then understood how to actually treat patients at a high level instead of just standard podiatry. And then from there, that allowed me to generate further income on a, on a consistent basis. Everything we do now is to be able to connect to people so they can uh, return back on a consistent basis to achieve long-term results, and that's how our business works. So, Sanjay, I'm, I'm curious. I get the the sporting going into podiatry, but real estate, where does that come in? Great. So how what happened next was, you know, I amassed roughly $200,000 fairly quickly uh, with my business. I run very lean naturally, so I'm quite ambidextrous on everything I can do. I was running the whole business myself at the start. I watched my parents invest in a couple of properties as I was younger, and that was the most natural thing to do was to start to look for my own property and invest into it. I watched a couple of YouTube videos on where to go from there, and I literally learned off YouTube um, on what to look for, what to invest into. The first property I ever bought, uh, I was on the correct strategy, but it definitely wasn't the right property. I bought a house which had dual income. And from there, um, I was able to generate more income than to buy my first block of units. After the first block of units, that's where all the success started to happen. Okay, fantastic. So, you know, 
I, I guess let's move on uh, to understanding well to your to understanding your second tip for the top five tips to make your first million from real estate. Beautiful. Well, it's a very big misconception, and this is why real estate investors, Australians these days, aren't able to invest into real estate long term. It's because they don't purchase cash flow property. That is the second most important tip when looking for real estate or making your decision. It's not how how impressive the property looks. It's not how your kids will look in the property when they get older, or it's not what your parents want you to buy. It's literally buying the correct property based on the numbers and the cash flow it provides you and your asset so you can leverage this off in the future. The way I did it was I looked for blocks of units. In Australia, the market is very different compared to other countries because the property prices are so high. So finding the right deal that provides you cash flow is always challenging, but if you have the right strategy to look for it, negotiate the deal, and then improve the cash flow in the property that you do purchase, that is the second most important key to allow you to continuously leverage and improve your serviceability. Okay, so you've bought a property, It's let's call it cash flow neutral or slightly positive. You made a, a comment in there about you know doing things to improve the cash flow. How do you do that? Great question. So we can do multiple things. If we start basic, and I'm going to make this very simple at the start, and then we'll move to more complex. On a basic level, what you could do is review when you first purchase the property, the improvements the property could sustain. So this includes the visual improvements, the amenity improvements, the surrounding or environmental improvements, or the safety improvements of the property for the tenants. You discussing this with the tenants is the most important factor to say, hey, what would you love to see in the place you live? And then understand and negotiate with them and say, look, this will cost me money. Are you open to have a great environment for yourself? Pay a little bit more. It won't cost you too much more, but I'll look after you if you look after me. That's the most important and easiest way to improve the initial cash flow with the current tenants in there. If that's not enough or your tenants aren't working with you, you can look at replacing the tenants. So going back to market, looking at market price, and that would be your second step. Once you can actually replace your tenants, you will provide clean up the property, do a clean, do a light renovation, empty it out, make it look pretty, and try and get a tenant in there at market price. The third option you could do is place this on short-term accommodation. That's what I do. I place it on Airbnb. With Airbnb income, it's prolifically higher. So usually if an apartment returns $400, I return $1,000 on Airbnb. You can imagine that now we've got eight Airbnbs. Eight times a thousand dollars, eight thousand dollars just from eight apartments. So that's the easiest way to transition into short-term accommodation. If you have the systems, if you can furnish the property, if you can design the property yourself, if you can put security systems in place and manage the Airbnbs. It's definitely worth it. It's interesting. I uh, I live in Brisbane, so the, the local paper here is the Courier Mail. So in the Courier Mail today, they reported that uh, there's been a reduction of forty percent of rental properties. So investors are getting out of rental properties just getting out of the market. Um, so how does that impact on what you do, uh, Sanjay? Is that, right. is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, so if there's less rental properties on the market, it's a great thing for me. The reason being is I buy and hold. If there's a lack of stock on the market, this means the rental prices go up. A lot of people are trying to transition and, and buy their own home because this is the way the public sees it. They say, why should I pay $700 rent if that could be my mortgage price and I own the property. But ideally, what that means is they go and borrow $1.5 million for the property. They are stuck with a $700 mortgage per week consistently. This allows them to not leverage any further and they are indebted to that property for the next 30 years. Compared to 
if you buy the property which is cash flow positive, improve the rents, increase the income, increase the valuation, use that equity to buy more property, this then allows you to continue your portfolio. Interesting. Okay, let's move on now to tip number three. Beautiful. So tip number three is probably the most important one, understanding how finances and debt works. Now, ideally, a lot of individuals or a lot of the public out there wouldn't understand how the finances work with debt. And, you know, I've heard a lot in the public um, or just even talking to friends in the community on why you would acquire more debt. And people want to get rid of debt and they say, I want to pay off my property, you know, and that's their main goal is they work to pay off their property for 20 years and that's their goal. And what that does to them is that diminishes their lifestyle. It diminishes their mindset. They don't look for opportunities anymore and they become huddled into, um, you know, their own home. And the issue here is that if we are paying our property for the next 30 years, this means that we cannot look anywhere else. The property price of that actual asset continues to rise you keep paying down the debt you keep building equity in the property and because you've got no cash flow you still can't leverage that and a lot of people when i'll ask you guys how many times have you heard people in their 60s people in their 70s say i'm asset rich but cash flow poor yeah happens all the time and it's because they've injected all this money into the asset which gives them a lot of equity but they've started to run out of money And ideally, if you can create a relationship with the banks to say, hey, how about if I paid you, as an example, and this is not financial advice, if if we made a deal of an interest-only loan for the next 30 years, you make your 5% for the next 30 years on the debt you provided me, you know your asset is safe because the, the valuation continues to improve every year, so my equity keeps growing which provides us more safety because that asset is growing. So if you ever needed to sell it, you're going to get a great price for it. And I'll cash flow this property so that when we do the next deal, you'll have a lot of certainty that I'll have a lot of serviceability to be able to afford the next loan as well. And I've always taken this approach with the banks. I work directly with the banks. I have even started comparing bank to bank, you know, and I think that's a very relevant part of finances and debt to actually get the banks to compete against one another. And to say, even if they're your mate, to say, hey, mate, um, you know, so-and-so down the road who I haven't got a relationships doing a better deal for me compared to you, how is this even possible? I thought we were friends, you know, and that can, especially when once you start to accumulate property, that half a percent or that 1% can make a very big difference in your overall cash flow for your portfolio. So my main message here is this. It's important to understand finances. I think that's probably the, the the hallmark of real estate investing. A lot of people get into real estate and they want to understand the asset, they want to understand the property, and they want to make themselves feel good emotionally, but they don't understand how the finances work and who's actually giving them the money. If you can organize an arrangement with your bank's finances or whoever you use, it could be mum or dad, and say, I would like to go on interest only and not pay off this loan, and let them know that next year this property price will increase and my equity will increase alongside my cash flow and let them give you that opportunity and show them what's possible, that will put you in a very, very, very good position to, number one, build trust with the financiers, number two, build equity, and number three, the most important one, build that cash flow so when you're 65, you don't have that issue of being cash poor and not, not being able to go anywhere because the only thing 65, 70-year-olds or potentially even 50-year-olds struggling with a cash problem can do is sell that property, try and purchase a 
new property, but the banks won't finance them because they've got no cash coming in. Okay, so all right, so now we've got to this point where we understand the financing, valuations, equity. What is tip number four to make your first million in real estate? The next easiest way to make your first million in real estate is study the surrounding market. So before you even purchase, or if you have already purchased, it's okay. It's important to study your surrounding market in the real estate game. And what I mean by this is you want to look at two things. The current rental return for a like-for-like property like yours, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a unit block, or whether it's a home. The second thing that you want to look for is the selling prices or the prices they are on sale for. Now, what I mean by this, and I'm going to split the two in this segment just quickly. The first one is rental income. You want to be at market rent or above market rent. Now, if you are not at market rent and you go for a valuation or you ask your bank to value your asset, it's important to actually make the improvements so you can place a case forward to say, hey, I've got the best apartment house or unit block in the area, and this is the standard market rent. And that's if you've underdone yourself and haven't improved the rents already. You may have a chance. The second thing to do is if you want to increase your market rental, actually make those improvements, negotiate with your tenants and lift the rents. It's very, very simple. If you've converted over to Airbnb, and this is the absolute bombshell, so listen to this one, guys. If you've converted over to Airbnb, banks cannot value your property based on the income. They will not value it. They will say that's not counted as normal rental income. So the way they actually value it is they look at the surrounding market and they will compare your asset compared to other assets and see what they rent out for. That's as simple as it is. So if you can make those necessary adjustments and understand your surrounding market on the rental or or leasing income, that's the first step. The second step to value your overall property is to understand how much your properties are selling for or have been sold for. Now, the key here is this. If you've got a house and you want to get it valued, it's important to understand where you sit in the market based on your purchase price. From there, you'll be able to average out your rough equity on what you may be valued for, and then you can start your financial planning on the potential equity, how much of that equity you'll be able to borrow, and then from there, use for your next down payment. The next thing you could do is look at sold prices and for sure improve your property greater than those sold prices. So it gives you a benchmark. So if you can improve the property standard greater compared to that sold price, your property will be valued higher or sell at a higher price. So use it as a benchmark, but study your surrounding area so you can adequately put yourself in the right position when it comes to valuation. And essentially, we always want to hold all our properties. That is the game. And so you can rise with the property as time progresses. So when you say we hold all of our properties, is your your theory based on buy one and never sell it? Pretty much. If it's a cash flow property, it's paying you week on week. And it's also increasing income based on the valuations. So you're getting two areas of growth. One's invisible and one's actually tangible. You know, you can feel it, see it, and it's coming into your account. Cool. Okay. Well, let's round us off um, to, to finish. Uh, tip number five is learning how to use equity. I think that's the biggest one. And in Australia, you know, the laws and all the regulations are quite tight on borrowing. However, imagine I could tell you this, Raul and Lindsay, that you could buy a property without putting any cash out of your pocket in. 
Does that sound good? Sounds great to me. <laughs> That's how equity works. So if you've improved the equity inside your property and you've now had a valuation, a lot of people wouldn't know what to do with it. Just say you've made all the right steps, you have great cash flow, you have businesses or you have a, you know, a lot of income coming in which you will be able to service another property. It's learning how to use the equity next. So there's two ways you can use the equity. If you're looking for a residential property, most banks and finances, and again, this is not financial advice, will allow you to leverage 80%. So they'll, they'll request you to pay 20% of uh, any down payment or any loan you acquire with the bank. So for example, if you've increased your property by $1 million in equity, which is very possible, which is what I did with my first block of units, then you will be able to use 80% of that $1 million directly for a down payment on your next residential property. If you're looking to buy a commercial property, which is usually five units or more, or a genuine commercial space, the banks usually allow you to use 65% of that million dollars. So they, they request an LVR of 65 and 35. Now, from that, it's quite a simple game. You put down the 65% from your equity, you then purchase the property, and then you ensure that you calculated that cash flow positive for your next purchase. Fantastic. So. We're going to have all these people chasing you for advice and for 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 free education um, because they everybody wants to make their first million from real estate. So if people would like to get hold of you, chat, track you down, stalk you, whatever they feel like doing, um, how do, what is the best way of doing that? Great. So we have, and I have just my a traditional Instagram, which is at T-H-E Parasha, P-A-R-A-S-H-E-R. That's my main page. All my life daily content's put on there. We've just launched a new property page on Instagram as well, and it's called Parasha Property, all one word. On TikTok, we will be also launching a lot more just direct property knowledge on how to start Airbnbs, what tips and tricks you need to increase your income inside your property or what to look for in your new real estate property, and that's also Parasha property so if you wanted to follow me there send me a message you can have direct access to my email happy to answer any questions at the moment you know we're just looking to give back especially myself just to build trust and you know my my plays a lot longer term to be, be, be able to build trust and work with individuals that are looking to invest in five or ten years from now and and it all starts from now and if you're investing in northern new south wales you can fix their feet at the same time well yes i'll do a home service special home service if you're investing only <laughs> <laughs> okay well sanjay it's been great to have you on the podcast and uh you've shared a wealth of information uh for us thank you very much uh no so i'm going to wrap it up here and this is Lindsay adams signing off for another edition of the top five podcast from brisbane australia along with my co-host rail bricker from perth western australia that's it for us look forward to seeing you again at the next episode